Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast of the Gundam Heroes, season three of the four, Gundam four? edition. Four, four the, overall. The, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was also the time we did not Gundam. You know, the original, <laughs> the one that mattered. The, Read the, name the manga. Of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Uh, hi, I am Ty Tuesday. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, Kubo. Hello. Serene Dragon. Hello. And Vicus. That's me. Hi. And for this uh for this season we're doing a different one. Vicus, you chose Gundam. Uh, another Gundam, yes, but turn A this time. We're actually kinda going in like the nineties chronological order at the moment. A little bit, yeah. This came out I think like ninety nine. Yeah, this know, was the Check next that. full show that came out after Wang. Oh weird. I did not know that. Because, yeah, like, OHMS came is, in, came out in between the two, but it's only 12 episodes. This show feels fucking bizarre, but <laughs> it feels bizarre in a way that I feel like is it good. lands some of the time, as opposed to Wing, which was, like, accidentally bizarre and falling <laughs> on its face always. I would say that this may be the most different Gundam show in the way it's, like, paced and it's, like, tone. I mean, even, even like... It's animated, really. It, I mean, like, the animation's all over the place for the different, you know, Gundams yeah. because they've been going on for, like, 40 years now. Mm-hmm. But, like, in terms of, like, how it paces its structure and how it deals with, like, showing its characters and, like, the acts that they do, I think it's, like, a lot different than a lot of most of... Because most of the Gundams are, like, war as hell, you know, we shouldn't be complicit in this and all that. But this is more of a character piece, I think. Like, the characters drive the story more than, like, the plot that's going on. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, for sure. It's different. Yeah. Well, shall we get to... Oh, and we're doing uh, episode one to four. We're doing four episodes at a time like we've... You know, yeah, that seems to work better. Give us more time to talk about stuff. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, so I guess we just want to jump on in. The intro, there's no uh, opening for the first episode. It's just a kid in a spacesuit inside of what appears to be a spaceship. Uh, this kid has uh, brown skin. He's got like a silver bob cut haircut going on. And, and he's like, definitely obvi- got a look. Yeah, I, I will say for Eternia, all the characters look different, which is nice. Um, yeah. They did a good job of differentiating the people. But um, he and the two other people in his spaceship or whatever are prepping for re-entry. It's kind of obvious from what they're doing. Uh, they start singing different songs. He sings Mary Has a Little Lamb for some reason. Uh, we get a pull out of the spaceship doing re-entry. And then when it hits the ground, it turns into a mobile suit and then starts digging itself on the ground. Um, the title card comes up. It's called Howl to the Moon is the first episode. And so, this next uh, couple of scenes, we see the main character, whose name is Lauren Chiek. Um, Sehak. Sehak. They never say his last name, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> him and two other, uh, the two other people who are with him are, like, prepping like they're done camping out for the night under the stars. And the uh, first thing that's obvious is these characters all have clothing that looks like they're in, like, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman's uh, name is Frandall. She has, like, a dress on. The, another man's name, Keith, he has, like, suspenders and a white shirt thing going. She's also um, got, like, the black eyes, uh, like, the, the weird eyes that Gundam characters sometimes have, but not always. The Noah bright eyes, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, the no iris kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Keith says that, like, no one on Earth is going to recognize them, and they got to get going about their things. So, like, they start going their separate ways and start walking off in different directions. Uh, we got a cut here. Lawrence is walking through the plains. Um, this wolf starts attacking him. Suddenly, there's gunshots from overhead, seemingly. And uh, Lohan looks up, and he sees that there's this giant winged airship. Like, like I a tried Zeppelin. To descri- 
but sideways. Yeah, it's like a Zeppelin, but instead of like the blimp portion, it's a wing, and that's filled with the helium. And so inside of the undercarriage of it, there's this uh, dashing young man with like tan skin and short blonde hair. And one of the ladies calls him Lord Gwyn. He's a main character, so uh, he'll be up later. But anyway, he scares he, off the he wolf didn't with hit the, gun. The, sh- the the wolf, but he is still a pretty good shot. Like second place in a marksmanship context. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was doing the uh, sail of uh, Sarah Palin. Fucking hunting <laughs> from a helicopter. Anyway, um, the joke's too old. Uh, anyway, we cut to another scene. Uh, Lauren finds a river. Uh, he strips down and just goes swimming, and he's having a great time. Like this kid, like he must be like fifteen or something, but like he's acting like he's seven. Um, he grabs into his backpack and gets out this like floaty toy fish thing, and this comes up several times later in the series. Like this little toy he carries with him. It will preserve his modesty quite well. Yes, I think I don't know if they, that was the intended thing, but yeah, they use that later <laughs> for some censorship reasons. Uh, he starts playing with it in the river, but it starts getting washed downstream, so he chases it. Uh, he starts drowning. He's not a good swimmer, and as he's drowning, he sees these two naked girls on the side of the riverbank, and through their conversation, you find out they're sisters. Um, the girls like see him drowning and start to call to their maids and assistants and tenants to grab him out. Uh, as Lauren is drowning, he sees that one of these girls is tall, has very long blonde hair, like to the mid back, almost butt area, and then like blue very eyes. Very lovingly, like covers up. Uh, Lady Godiva's. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully he, covers anything revealing. As he uh, he sees her, like he kind of hallucinates a different tall blonde hair, blue eyed girl, and then like he passes out. Um, this other tall blonde hair, the one he hallucinates, by the way, is wearing some weird ass space clothing that's definitely not 1920s clothing. So, right. did she have thing. like blue lipstick too? Yes. Yeah, she does. She has like light yeah. blue lipstick on too. That's how you can tell, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like that's the main distinguishing factor. It <laughs> says, you know, it's it's weird though because like for the most part, characters are like very distinctive, so it, they do like make a point of these characters look alike. Like that is a plot point yes. that gets yes, it brought is. up. So yeah. it's not like an unintentional they were being lazy or anything. Yeah. Uh so we cut to a scene of him being put in the bed by the maid and the assistant person. Um the girls are there and they think that he's a foreigner just because they haven't seen him around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um we cut to him waking up, he looks at a bird out the window and again he's amazed at everything that has to do with nature. Um, the maid, whose name is Jessica, gives him some food, and she berates him for drowning, saying that he's a bother. Um, we're introduced to the younger of the two sisters that we saw in the previous scene. Her name is Sochi. Uh, she is shorter than her sister. She has, like, brown hair, and she's a brunette. And it's immediately apparent that she is a very headstrong tomboy-type character. She just busts into the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, Jessica warns Sochi not to get close, but she's curious about this new guy and says, like... He asks if he has money to pay for his stuff. He's like, well, I don't have too much money, so you'll need to work off your debt and stuff. She very um, clearly likes him right off the bat. Yeah, like it's... We call this in the anime biz, Sundere. Um, you should look it up <laughs> if you're not familiar. But um, uh, She was uh, mad that he was chasing the fish instead of looking at him. It sets up for like hey, some comedy there. Hey, Kuvo. They're listening to an anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't insult her about our intelligence audience. here. Yeah, like, hey, come on. <laughs> I mean, frankly, who wouldn't fall in love with an idiot boy who chased a toy fish and nearly drowned? That's just, he sounds perfect. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I needed to cover my wiener on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
she asked, like, so what were you doing in the river? What are your plans and anything? And he's like, well, I'm going to work at the high mine in the town. Like, everybody seems to work there. It's cool and everything. And so, like, it comes out through their conversation that he is at the Heim residence and that Sochi's last name is Heim. What a coincidence. Um, That's yeah. my name, too. Yeah. And so- Sochi's father is Lord Heim, who's, like, a big deal in these parts of the world. Um, so he gets his stuff, and this is when he's introduced to the blonde sister. They don't say her name until, like, the end of this episode, but for the sake of clarity, I'm going to say it's right now. It's Kehil, Kiel. Kihel. Kihel, something like that. Yeah, I'm going to butcher these names like I always do. <laughs> yep. Um, he immediately starts thinking that he, she looks like Her Majesty Diana, which we, I guess, assume is the hallucinated person he saw before. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Kihil, Kale. Okay, we're gonna we gotta say that right now. What? How do you pronounce her fucking name? Pronunciation I'm put, guide. Yeah, Kiel. Kale. 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 Okay, that's good. I know. Kale. Just do it. Kale. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was washing up earlier for this coming of age ceremony, and she he ruined it for her, and so she's kind of mad at him. Um, he says he's very sorry. He bows over and then falls headfirst into the ground, which Sochi thinks is funny. I mean, it was pretty funny. He just lands yeah. face oh. first on the ground. Oh. It's also kind of a cool foreshadowing. Um, he thanks them for saving him, and um, they get in this car and drive off, and Sochi's like, okay, well, my sister's going to the ceremony, but let's go too, because, you know, you got nothing else to do. So we cut over to the scene of, like, this big festive ceremony going on. There's a lot of people dancing in the street, carrying torches, and they're in, like, long white robes. Um, there's this big, like, effigy, and it almost kind of looks Wicker Man-ish. Like, it looks kind of Native American, but it's on, like, a parade float. There's definitely and, a lot of, like, Native American in- imagery in here. yeah. And uh, Kale is on top of it, kind of riding, leading everybody. Um, so everybody's bringing this thing up the side of a mountain and singing and dancing. And they're all chanting about the mountain cycle and how it's a new cycle and everything. And it kind of looks like a fertility ceremony in a way. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so they're about to, Sochi and uh, Lauren are about to try to go up the side of the mountain. But they're stopped by a man who says, like, you can't go. But, of course, they run past him. <laughs> Fuck uh, that. Kale starts the ceremony. Um, she kicks out all the adults and they leave. So it's just a bunch of teenagers on the side of the mountain. Uh, Lauren is wondering if that's the white doll and he kind of brings this up out of nowhere uh, behind this like effigy thing they got going on in Kale there's this big humanoid statue that's like carved into the side of a cliff which is a, which has a giant mustache yeah it's really doofy looking yes. <laughs> being honest <laughs> correct um, but before he gets a real good look at it he's chased off by another adult yelling that they're not supposed to be here um, we see a shot of Kale looking over the fire asking the crowd to choose her partner and she's very anxious about this uh, we then cut to a town. This town kind of looks like uh, rural-ish, I want to say. Like, almost like it's something you would see in like, rural England or like New England-ish. Yeah, um, yeah I'd agree with that. Um, there's a biplane that's flying over the town and doing loops and having fun. It's being flown by this girl, and in another biplane next to her is another uh, pilot that's an older man. Um this is the first part about this series I want to say that's kind of weird. These first couple episodes are paced really quickly, and yes. then like the middle of this, it goes completely slower. And so it was we really cut... weird trying to figure out when time had passed. Yeah. yeah. So right here we get a cut to the this uh, looks like a coal mine, and Lauren's in there uh, doing some work on like a generator or something. This is a time skip of two years, and it's kind of hard yeah. if you're not paying attention the first time. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't catch it until, like, episode three or something. I think like, it might actually when... be one year. I think there's no. a separate time skip. Oh, is there two time skips? 
Well, I'm not sure, though. I, I knew this was definitely a time skip, him being in the mine. I just didn't yeah. realize it was two years until they actually stayed, yeah. like, two years later. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'll explain it, but just, like, they they later on, so they do this coming-of-age ceremony, you know, they weren't supposed to see, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We then later see another one, and I was like, wait, how often do they do these? And they're like, right. we waited two years for it. I'm like, oh, shit. Huh, hold yeah. on. Yeah. 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 It's kind of hard to tell right there, but yeah, it's a time skip. And I guess a way they kind of implemented it a bit is that, like, Lauren looks a bit more ripped than he used to because he's working been working in the, in the mine, presumably, for two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the foreman guys informs Lauren that um, Masterheim wants to talk to him because he's good with machines, and I guess he has some reason. Uh, we cut to Loran uh, running up to the Heim household. It's like this big mansion in the hills that we saw before. Outside, these sisters are looking at this new car. They think it's totally fucking awesome. This car looks like a Rolls from like the 1920s. So it's got like the open carriage and top, and it's like, you know, the huge it's engine in the front. Sweet. It does look pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Heim is in his office and he's talking to Gwyn, which is the guy from the airship before. And he's asking him about fighter planes. Um, Gwyn says he just continued to producing them, and the two sisters outside and are in the hallway spying on this conversation. Um, Heim thinks that, like, is it true that we're going to go to war? And Gwyn says, like, oh, it's a rumor, but, you know, we better be sure. It might be a ploy. But, it's like, a we Gundam. Learn- there's there's going to be more. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, we learned through this conversation that Gwyn is, like, an up-and-coming industrial-type guy, um, he's very young, but like he has a fortune, and he has like command, and respect, and a bunch of industrial stuff. So like he yep. just is good at that. Um, Gwyn says that his father was a diplomat, and that he wants to be a politician and diplomat too. Um, they introduce Lauren. He comes in. Heim says that Lauren is now their private chauffeur for the family since he's so good with machines. Uh, Sochi and Kale come in, and Sochi's cool with it, but Kale's not so sure. Uh, they tell Kale that she like she needs to go to university and help bring in the new industrial age. Like I guess like she's going off the the city now and she's not that into it no she wants to work with Gwyn, and like it comes immediately obvious like she kind of has a thing for him mm-hmm. um Gwyn remembers uh, a person with silver hair two years ago that was saved from wolves and that lauren realizes that that was him in the airship so they thank each other that was almost uh, a really good shot dude <laughs> yeah uh Gwyn then says that heim has taken a liking to laura and this is the first thing, anytime that Gwyn speaks to Loran, L-O-R-A-N, he calls him Laura, L-A-U-R-A. And he does this for the rest of the series. And for the sake of clarity, I'm just going to call them Laura, Lauren, like normal. It's, I, it's I a plot point yeah. that'll come up luckily in these things. Yeah, um, it's weird like, if you're watching it the first time, but like, yeah. yeah. So, um, Haim says that like, Hey, since everybody likes you so much, um, this year's coming of age ceremony is happening. So you and Sochi should go do it since you're, you know, of age. And so they're really happy and pumped to do that. Uh, they go outside, look at Gwim's new car. Kale's looking at the airplanes overhead. It's the new militia air force that everybody's getting, you know, involved in. Uh, Gwyn says that Mr. Kuhn, who's a character we'll see later, is leading them, and that Lauren and Gwyn are looking at the new car, and they think it's awesome. This car is funny, by the way. Since it has a carburetor, he has to warm it up before they drive anywhere, which will take 20 minutes, which Pat thought was funny. Um, let's see. Gwyn asks uh, Kale to join him at the party at the castle. Uh, she asks her father, and her father's cool with it, so they're going to go do some aristocrat bullshit. As you do. Yeah, so we see a montage here of them driving through the countryside. It's really nice. They have to wait for this train. The train, again, also looks like the early 20th century. Everything here is establishing this is very early 20th century developing town. It's kind of Victorian Mm -hmm. slash, you know, rural town. Yeah. Uh, We see, like, this developing town and everything. And um, Kale wonders why Gwen keeps calling Lauren Laura. 
they, uh, they, they bring it up pretty quickly so that you're not confused about it. Yeah. But like, yeah, he is doing that. Uh, we cut over to an airfield. We see these biplanes landing. Uh, the girl that we saw before two years ago is piloting one. Her name is Miyashi. Miyashi. Mishi. I'm gonna, Mishi. Zendaya sure. is Michi. I'm going to butcher these. I'm so sorry. Uh, she's <laughs> very short, uh, tanned, and has like scruffy straw blonde hair. Uh, she hops on a truck with a colonel. This guy is. This guy looks like a fucking Civil War Union colonel. He's got the Won't hat. Won't be and the last time you see that. Yeah, his name is uh, Michael. Um, she's talking about how she wants to see Gwen again because Gwen brought all the planes, and her dad, whose name is Laterum, good name, is out flying the other plane. He lands. Uh, I'm trying to see how much of this I could skip because it's just a lot of introduction of characters and plot. I was going to say, yeah, these are a little heavy on this. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Lauren and the company all arrive at the winged airship. Um, Lauren gets in and takes off, and there's a montage of them driving to the city. There's some electric streetcars. That's really cool. Uh, Kale gets out of the streetcar and goes to buy stuff for her aristocrat party. So she doesn't want to go because she thinks her sister's a snob and she's a tomboy. The main plot point of this is Lauren is waiting outside the car, just waiting for Kale to do her shit. But he sees Keith carting stuff around. Who is the guy from the start? Yeah. So like he kind of incognito kind of goes over to Keith and they exchange info, info about their obvious spying statuses. Like, hey, uh-huh. did you see this? What's going on over here? Which a spy meeting in the like middle of town, pretty ballsy. Yeah. And uh, Kale immediately wonders, like, oh, I wonder if he has friends. I never see him with any friends. This is weird. But, like, she just kind of assumes that that's what they are since they seem familiar. Um, we get a montage of them driving around. Um, we cut to a scene of Kale playing violin with her teacher. And so she just goes out and skips class because that music stuff's for nerds. This next scene is her spying on Lauren. And Lauren meets with Keith and uh, Fran again in this scene. So- how often do you think she just stalks Lauren? Like, oh, hey, Lauren's gone out for bread. I'm going to follow him. <laughs> I mean, yes. it's kind of obvious she has a thing for him, so <laughs> probably a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, Keith and Lauren start doing some small talk. Fran shows up. Um, Sochi just kind of thinks he's gathering with some friends. It comes out in this conversation that Keith is a baker. Fran is doing a, a photography thing for the newspaper in town. Um, Fran says that like she got a job in the news because she thought she would be able to keep tabs on the news, but like everything around them concerning the war is a rumor, and they say that the country of Guardia is attacking. But Keith thinks that that's a rumor, and that it really means the Moon People. Nobody knows. Of, nobody talks about the Moon People. Come on, yeah, obviously, fucking fake news, not covering it. That wizard came from the moon. <laughs> <laughs> So Keith asks Lauren about checking it. Have you checked it out? But uh, Lauren says he hasn't had time. Um, they also make no ch- n- mention that their mobile suit is still on the ground, but they think that earthquakes could unbury it. Um, they're being very vague about this. Uh, we cut to later on at night. Uh, they know that Lauren is... Uh, Sochi knows that Lauren's going out to do mechanical work on something, so she like gets another butler to drive her to follow him. Stalker! Yeah. Also, Lauren re- is the worst person to drive to like be followed by a tail. How do you not notice like a 1920s jalopy just following you from 10 like, miles away? Yeah. But they turned the lights off. <laughs> like how could you not hear it? Yeah, it would be just the most egregious noise. Yeah. Uh so she so she immediately knows that Lauren's not going towards the mine but instead is driving up towards the mountain where he's not supposed to go. Uh, we get a montage of this uh, to some music. By the way, this is music is the second ending for the series. But um, 
he goes into this ravine and like Sochi is like, what the fuck is he doing? And he starts digging and she's spying on him. Uh, he finds something buried. It's the uh, mechanical advance. And it's, if you weren't really paying attention, it's the mo- mobile suit that they flew in on to, yeah, like, two years ago. Yeah, the they landed on, basically. Yeah. yeah, so he was checking up on that. Uh, she sees this and is like completely shocked. She has no idea what's going on. And then he gets up, looks at the moon, which is overhead, and yells, Earth is a great place. Hurry and come back. And, like, brings his arms all the way to his side like he's beckoning people to come to him. And, and he is, like, laughing and smiling about everything. He is, he is into the Earth. Yeah, and Sochi's, like, kind of freaking out because she doesn't know what the hell's going on. And that's the first episode. We don't see any mobile suit fights, really. We don't, like, have any advanced technology. It's just kind of a slow-paced character thing. The then then is, what's the point of it being a Gundam if there's no <laughs> wow cool robot? Like it, the thing is, in this one episode, I'm more intrigued in this show than like yeah. everything oh, Gundam gosh, Wing yeah. did. Because like Gundam Wing, right out the gate, just immediately was like, "Here, let me explain the setting and politics to you for, to you for like ten minutes, and then we'll give you some stuff." This one's like, "Here's some intrigue. Here's some weird shit." Like it's like, yeah, it's also just, enough just your... took a Gundam and shook it in your face and went, "This is what you're here for, right, robot?" This is what you freaks like, isn't it? <laughs> here's your char, like here's a robot. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's interesting coming from Wayne because like compared the two, it's. Totally yep. shameless how Wing just starts up, does a narrator plot dump, and immediately has combat in the first five minutes. Yeah. And this doesn't even show a robot in the entirety of it. If you miss the first two minutes, you could be forgiven for not knowing this was the Gundam. Yeah. And which I kind of like because it sets it up in a way that you yeah. want to see where it goes. Yeah, you're it's like, an interesting okay, setting. I know what this yeah. is going to be. I, I saw the turn A Gundam thing in the episode clip, or like in the, in the episode break. Where's this going? <laughs> also, just the fact that like the technology is so far behind mm-hmm. Gundam makes you like kind of be like, okay, but how is a Gundam going to work here? Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, so episode two starts. Uh, we actually do see the opening for this one. It yells turn A at you a lot. Um, there's shots of a galaxy, and then like in towards flying the gal, flying towards the galaxy are like it looks like glass shards that have shots of the original Gundam series on them, like the one from 79. You can uh, tell kinda... that this was done after Gundam Wing because there, this is like computer animation now. Yeah, there's some CG in here. You've gone, like, basically between Gundam Wing and Turn A, we have kind of hit that line where like CG animation became affordable to do yeah, for a TV show. This is the last Gundam that was cell shade animation mm. uh, painted on cells. After this was Seed and that was done totally digital. Yep. And that's kind of why C looks like shit. But yep. as an aside, um, yep. <laughs> yeah, um, we see some. Uh, we see like a shadow of Lauren as he stands there. There's like intercuts of like him and Sochi, a mask man, and Kale just standing around. We do see the titular Turn A, which is a very funny looking robot, and we'll get into that later. God, also, he rules. He rules. He's yes. so good. Oh man, <laughs> he's kind yeah, of like, gangly for a Gundam. Is the really the biggest thing? Yeah, first off, he's like 60 or 70% leg, yeah. which is... Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this, okay? If if Burning Gundam is Mega Man X, you know, like the cool future <laughs> robot man, <laughs> then Turn A is Waluigi. Turning Gundam is the box art for Mega Man. <laughs> <laughs> 
God. It should. I guess I should note right now that um, most of the mechanical design in the show was done by Side Mead, Sid Mead. I don't know how to say his name correctly. Who is the industrial designer guy who did the work for, say, uh, Blade Runner and Tron and okay. Aliens? Nice. Yeah. Mm. So this guy, yeah. He does. I like the mechs in this series. They look different and really well done. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna get yeah. once they show up. Like the moon mechs, yeah. we'll have words. Oh spoilers! Yeah, like I, I'm I'm goofing on them a little bit, but they're very fun to look at and mm-hmm. fun to watch and very dynamic in motion. Yeah, yeah. really good designs. Also, um, one last thing before we go into the episode. No, but I want to say something else. Go ahead, so no, no, you go first, <laughs> and I'll have last thing. Um, I really like that the logo of the show explains how to say the title. <laughs> it's like pronounced turn a under the logo itself <laughs> yeah but yeah uh for me it's like the opening itself the music apart from when it's like yelling turn a at you i actually quite like the like first um the music i feel like it ha- it's a slightly different it's actually completely different to like <laughs> gundam wing and a lot of the gundams i've heard yeah this one isn't bad and it's just pretty i think it kind of fits the show like atmosphere-wise, the, the weirdness of it, yeah. but like I, I feel it's fitting. So I, I, I like the opening. I guess since we're talking about the music in the show, the music in the show was uh, written by Yoko Kano. If you don't know who she is, she did stuff like oh. Escaflone and uh, Cowboy yeah. Bebop and Matt Plus. Bebop, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> she's uh, quite good too, and that's why you'll see like a lot of orchestrated pieces during some of these montages, which are very I was good. A lot of this music is so bizarre, but so good. Like, yeah, it does like the it atmosphere works. really well. And that would <laughs> extremely explain it. That's someone yeah. with a very wide range who is incredibly good at doing atmosphere work. Yeah. Great. <laughs> good Yeah, to know. a lot of the pieces, in particular the orchestrated ones, remind me of some of the Macross Plus orchestrated pieces. And they're really nice. So, mm. nice. anyway, the title of this episode is The Coming of Age Ceremony. So, we get to see another one of these things. Um, our first shot is a bunch of dudes in the telescope observatory and they're taking pictures of the moon. Uh, one of them is kind of panicking and calls Gwyn up. Uh, we cut over to Gwyn who's on a phone in some mansion someplace. He tells him to keep advising and then turns to Colonel Michael who we saw in the previous episode and says that his visitors will be there soon. Yeah. Um, if you've, uh, read a certain 1920s novel slash radio broadcast a lot of this may be fairly familiar <laughs> it's, it's good too because one of the first mech species i was talking to pat looks a lot yep. like the day the earth stood still in a way um cool. yeah so we cut over to the airfield sochi lands a biplane um me Mi- mishi whatever her name is goes up and says that this is her first solo flight good job uh, Lauren also lands but they don't really care about him because he's good with machines so it, whatever he's a natural fuck him yeah. Mishi uh, teases Sochi that, like, why is the daughter of the Hein family doing this? Why do you want to fly in planes? That's not ladylike at all. And, of course, like she says, that Kale can do all the inheritance stuff. I don't want to be the wife of a politician or something. I want to fly airplanes because it's fucking rules. So Fair enough. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah fuck yeah. Chase your bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it comes out in the conversation they had that today is the military parade with all these cool airplanes. And it's also the solstice. So the coming of age ceremony is happening at the same time. And Mishi's really bummed because she has to go fly in the parade and can't do the ceremony. Um, we cut over to a scene of a bunch of guys doing repairs on the planes. Uh, it comes out that Gwyn is mass producing them because he thinks war's coming. Again, really, this doesn't matter so much. Um, Sochi is mad that she has to go to the ceremony. She wants to fly, so she has the opposite situation that uh, Mishi has, which was kind of funny. Basically. Yeah. Uh, God, I'm trying to see what I can skip here. 
they uh, ask Lauren if he wants to join the militia because that's what all the cool kids are doing. But he's like, really, it isn't my decision. That's a Master Hines decision. I don't know. My boss says so. Yeah. Um, cut to nighttime. Lauren is uh, camping outside. I don't know why. Um, he's happy that it, today's the coming of age ceremony. And so, like, he makes, like, he packs up his camp and then rides his bike down the hill and crashes it. <laughs> You don't even get to see the crash. He just he, he rides off screen and then just boom. Gotta charge my dumbass, Crystal. Oh, woo, full moon, baby. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the next scene is Jessica, the maid, helping him out with this cut. He's a huge baby about it. Um, so she's like, hey, it's the big day. Why were you camping out, you fucking idiot? It's time to do shit. So they drive into town. Uh, it's obvious that the militia is here. They're getting set up with all of their shit. Again, all of their technology is 1920s. So they've got these weird trucks with searchlights on them and those like megaphone things you put up to your ear to hear oncoming planes come. Like that cool 1920s technology. Yep. Uh, they drive down to the, or sorry, uh, Lauren drives the Heim parents into town to go see uh, Kale at her dorm because she's, she's going to university, university now. Yeah. Um, there's a scene here. Nothing really important happens, so I'm just going to skip it. Uh, we cut to the parade. There's a bunch of airships, trucks, and stuff. Um, they introduce Ing- Inglesia's ruler. That's their town. And this guy's name is Reinfort. He doesn't really shut up too much, so it's not really a big deal. But in the audience next to him are Heim's parents, since they own a mine and they're important, and also Gwyn. And they Captains talk of about- industry. Yeah, yeah. And they uh, talk about how uh, Guardia is crossing the Atlantic to get there. So presumably these people are in North America. Right. Um, so they they discuss like this is why we need a military because we need to give them a surprise if they do attack. Um, we cut over to Fran, Keith, and Lauren. They're on a roof nearby watching this whole parade happen under them. And Fran asks them, "Is like so? What do you plan to do when the returning happens?" Um, off, and, off. Yeah, and they all just like, yeah, you know, the moon's cool, but I like living on Earth. We're all gonna go AWOL, right? Well, I think they the way they say it is not like abandoning so much as fuck we had our mission we're good now yeah Yeah. like once they've done their mission they're kind of like fired (laughs) (laughs) i guess another way to put it yeah so they're like not enlisted then like or yeah commissioned officer i don't know what the fucking phrase is but (laughs) yeah so lauren's like well you know with today's coming of age ceremony i'll be a citizen so i can do whatever the hell i want and then uh, we get some planes, those biplanes fly over, and Lauren looks at him and is like, these planes, I wonder what they're going to do to fight Diana Counter. Con- con- ah, I can speak. Diana Counter. Diana Counter. Diana? Yeah, sure. Counter. <laughs> counter. Counter. Um, and so, like, I wonder if they're going to do much. And then he's like, I wonder if the Queen's ever been to Earth. And Lauren so- has, like, a little bit of a thing for the Queen. Like, he... He says things like that sometimes. A yeah. lot of them seem to have a thing for the True. Queen. She's a cool person, I guess. And so Keith and Fran ask him, "Is like, so what is the ceremony about? You're doing that thing, right? And he's like, well, I don't fucking know, but it's got to be fun. So <laughs> we cut to a party, a very aristocratic kind of party. Uh, Gwyn spots Laura and goes up to him and asks him to work at the castle. Uh, he thinks the city's a bit too much for him. He likes the countryside, so he declines. So then Gwen asks him, like, okay, if you like the country, you should go work with Mr. Sid, uh, who will show up later. Uh, Kale shows up. Uh, she doesn't want to go to college, and she wants to work with Gwen because she thinks that, you know, practical on-the-job experience is more than book-smart shit. She doesn't want to learn that. He's a self-made man who dropped out of college to become an entrepreneur with a ton of money. Why can't I do that? <laughs> I also have a ton of money. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Gwen asked Laura, Lauren, again, to consider the post with Sid. And this is when Kale brings up, why do you keep calling him Laura? He's Lauren. And he's like, I just think it fits him better, which is kind of a jerk thing to do. Yeah, you can't That's just... That's your name now. You can't just rename someone like he's a dog. No, no I think you're a Steve, actually. <laughs> Ty, I'm sorry, but you're G-up from now on. Uh, <laughs> So you we, know what? <laughs> it, you know, it's honestly probably better for all of us overall and the <laughs> listeners. So, yeah, I'll, uh, one sec, I'll go get some puns or whatever. I'll be right back. <laughs> Y'all. Um, so, we cut to Sochi and this random girl that we've never met before. They're swimming in the river naked like two years ago and talking about, like, you know, for the ceremony, there's going to be spots on our back. Do you know where they are? And they like they're kind of like, huh? The other thing about this scene is that you get some full frontal booby in this scene. Yeah, of a fifteen-year-old, great. Yep. Right, um, and it's like they covered it with hair in the first episode, and then it was like, whoa, okay, okay, show. Uh, because they were right. underage then, but now they're coming hey. of it. <laughs> uh, hey. Right. Hey, what's so great about whiteboards? <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, they're pretty remarkable. Hey. Oh. Woo. Okay, I'm calling you Ty again. No more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we cut to Lauren. He's talking with Mr. Heim. He's like, so what, what should I expect from the ceremony today? And Mr. Lauren's like really nonchalant about it. He's like, oh, yeah, the ceremony is just about doing whatever you like. Just do whatever you like on the mountain. No, There's no adults. You figure and it out. The biggest thing, though, is that uh, there's these spots. And he like puts on Lauren's back where the spots are supposed to go. And Lauren's like, why are these spots important? It's like, yeah, well, the priest who speaks to the white doll also had the spots. I don't know. It's an old legend. Just deal with it. Don't so worry Lauren's, about it. Lauren's like, but you got to tell me more. It's like, no, that's all you need to know. Just do whatever you like. You want to know how to put the spots on her back? No, no. Unimportant. Unimportant, yeah. Uh, so we cut to the ceremony again. It's the same deal as last year. A bunch of fire, torches, effigies, all that. Um, Lauren and a bunch of other like teenagers are carrying the effigies up the cliff. This time, Sochi's is riding it, telling them what to do. Um... We cut to a castle. Keel and Gwyn are at the ball dancing. They're all dressed up nice, aristocrat looking. Um, he asks her if she wants to join the new era. And she's like, listen, right now, I just want to dance. <laughs> she's already got that Saturday Night Fever. God jumping ahead a little while. Delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to dance. <laughs> Stealing a Dane Cook joke from two decades ago. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was like, you did it well. You did it well. Though. <laughs> I don't know why it reminded me. Anyway, um... So Sochi is doing the ceremony. She's like, okay, guys, it's time. Who's coming with me up the mountain? And so, like, the boys are like, Aru, it's time to go up the mountain. And so they start, like, flexing and doing, like, break dancing and, and giggling. wheels and shit. Yeah. They definitely go Aru. Like. <laughs> yes, there is one Kuai who definitely howls. And then, like, on the sidelines, the girls are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Lauren's looking at all this. He has no fucking clue what's going on. So he starts, like, yelling at the moon and preaching about how the earth is great and everybody should come to the earth. And he finally fits in. He does a literal awoo howl at the moon in English edition. Like, he literally yells in English at the moon. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, so Sochi picks him. Like, she was going to pick him all along. He just kind of had to do something. Um, So... We cut back to the ma- uh, the party at the mansion. Uh, Gwyn is showing Kale like this radio room, and she is totally amazed that they're communicating without wires. So again, this gives you an idea of the technology. It, it's this room very is- much a 1920s like big vacuum tubes and boxes yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. 
so he starts talking about the moon race. He just kind of pulls this out casually, and she's like, yeah. what, there's a moon race? Um, Haven't and you heard? Here comes the first bit of plot. He made the militia, and like he funded it out of his own pocket and built it all up, because the moon race is immigrating to Earth. And he thinks, you know, we need to have an army or something in case shit goes south. And um, he also lets it drop. They kind of want him to hand over most of North America. I, sp- I think they specifically say the Sun Belt, which yes. I'm just assuming is the Midwest. So Kale's amazed <laughs> by all this. First off, she didn't even know about radio. So the moon race is kind of blowing her mind. And this is yeah. one. Imagine, imagine <laughs> someone's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you don't know what a refrigerator is. Oh, here, let me explain a refrigerator. Oh, also, there's aliens in there. <laughs> like, that's what just happened here. <laughs> She's still. device that lets us talk to people from far away, and those people are on the moon. <laughs> like, yeah, the like, moon. This, this girl is still reeling from refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty great scene. Yeah, so, it um, also kind of comes out that, like, he's been con- he's been contacting them like he's like really a leader or something when he's yeah kind he's of guy in it like he's pretending like he has the ability to do this stuff which i guess if you're a master of industry and have the only means it, to talk to them it's kind of like if rockefeller was declaring himself the president yeah, yeah. Like the leader or president yeah. and the martians would believe him i mean why not he's talking to them exactly he's the one who has the tech to do it yeah mm-hmm. uh so as they're talking here, the radios start going real crazy and like they're static and high pitched screeching and shit. So Gwyn goes and looks outside and he asks the militia for a report. Like what's going on? Alarm starts sounding. Um, Mishi and her dad start scrambling to fly. They're like, why do we have to fly at night? It's dangerous, but whatever. Uh, we cut to Mr. Sid. Mr. Sid is very obviously based on his character, an archeologist explorer type. Um, he's got like the mining hat on and overalls and a backpack and everything. He's even got a little buddy, a buddy with a rat tail. Yes, he does. Uh, his buddy's name is Joseph. Um, he starts. He, they are climbing up the side of the mountain, and like they watch in this like coming of age ceremony, and he's like, "This is dumb. People have airplanes. Why are we still doing this?" But then he's like, "Well, humans are illogical. It doesn't matter to us. We're investigating shit on the mountain." We cut back to the coming of age festival. Uh, Sochi and Lauren are like they went up the side of the mountain to go underneath that white doll. And this is it's, where they got. They're, they're on a platform that's like in its arms, basically. Yeah, it's like scaffolding or something. And so, like, they got to do the ceremony. And so they both kind of disrobe and they're embarrassed about it. Uh, he gets out this jar and she tells him, like, this is the jar to give me the holy marks. And while he's totally naked, he brought his fish thing from before, and which is going to be convenient censorship for the fact that he's buck naked during all this. It's going to be doing a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, so she berates him, says that he's a kid. Why do you have a toy with you? Uh, he opens up the box and there's leeches and he's totally freaked out by them. Um, but like he realizes that he needs to put them on her back in order for the coming of age ceremony thing to work. We'll never be an adult. Yeah. And the group is kind of watching this as he's holding up these leeches. And so like he wants to become an adult. He starts putting the leeches on her back. And like there's a very weird ominous shot of this uh white doll in the cliffside just kind of staring at them, which is funny. Um, Put on the leech. Yeah. So, they get some action in this episode. We cut over to their perspective of the city, which is miles away. Uh, There are flashes and fires and searchlights come on and there's gunfire. And, like, Lauren wonders if it's a bombing or something. We cut to the militia air force. Uh, They're flying around and there's mobile suits just flying from the sky. And these airplanes are trying their best, damn it, to fight off these mobile suits. 
but uh, they're not doing a whole lot. Like, one of them just flies right into the side of it, blows up, and the mobile suit's just not even phased. Uh, we're introduced to a woman pilot inside the mobile suit. Um, they don't say her name here, but I'm going to call her Poe because that's her name and to make this easier. She has uh, short black hair. And she tells another mobile suit pilot named Benjamin to return to the city and like secure things there. They split up and run away. The mechs, I like these mechs. They're very tall and they're almost all legs and they have a dome on the top. They're chicken walker motherfuckers and they're great. Yeah, the names of these mm-hmm. mechs are literally called walking domes, a.k.a. wadoms. Um, they feel like a lot of like octopus mechs from yeah. other like yeah. media. Yeah, they're really cool. The, the yeah. mech designs in this are very like they make them seem very alien. Yeah, they, and they're all very unique. Is the thing like even the the Gundam? You know, the titular Gundam is very unique in this one. Yeah. Um, so these mechs start running around. Um, the militia's attacking it, but the militia's this is like civilization. Get the game level tech tree mismatch with like guys with spears yep. trying to attack tanks. It's not working. Um, Poe gets mad at the militia that they're just kind of scraping her paint job so she fires this huge fucking laser that like vaporizes just miles of field and like countryside yeah she escalates the conflict yeah that that feels like a bit of an overreaction yeah it's just a bit Um, (laughs) hey at least they kind of address it they do yes next episode Um, it hits the mountain very close to where the coming of age ceremony is happening and all the people up there freak out Lauren spots and he knows that this is like a long range battleship class beam laser and it's kind of like the one Diana counter used in the training so like he's kind of spilling that he is from the moon if you haven't figured it out by now what no him the everybody come down here guy the one who yells (laughs) at the moon no no so she's like that's real fucked up but I want to be an adult so we're still doing this coming of age ceremony right but uh, as it happens, the laser kind of... God, Sochi rules, by the way. Sochi doesn't take no shit from anybody. Yeah. Like, yep. oh my god, the town is blowing up. And I think a laser just blew up your entire town. I don't know what a laser is, and I'm only going to be 19 months or whatever. You know? like, <laughs> fucking, we've got to do this. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so she wants to keep going on with it, but the lands- a landslide happens. The platform that they're standing on underneath the white doll starts collapsing. The white doll kind of breaks apart. And when I say break apart, the rock stone like statue that's in the cliffside starts crumbling. And underneath it, there is a mobile suit. It's like Oops, very It's a Gundam. Light. Yeah. And like neither none of them know what's happening. Uh, to give you an idea of this white doll, because it shows up now for the first time unrock formed, um, it's a humanoid. It's an average height for a mobile suit, I guess, like 20 meters or so. It's in their Gundam primary colors white, blue, red, yellow. Um, it has like really cool curving lines. I've, just go look up what the turn A looks like because it's awesome looking. It's very oh, it's different one. from the standard Gundam design. Yeah, the main two things that you need to know about it, it is the cockpit is at waist level, basically where the dick would be. It's like a, a ball that just cockpit. sits there. Yeah. And the second thing is, it has a very large mustache, which is totally awesome. Yep. Um, yeah. The mustache rules, thing. and, like, don't worry, the show also knows the mustache rules. <laughs> <laughs> like, they mention it all the time. Like, characters are just like, oh, shit, that fucking mobile suit with a mustache? They're like, yeah, that thing kicked ass. <laughs> that was great. Sweet. Uh, so, Lauren notes that the cockpit opens, and so she's like, what the fuck is a cockpit? But uh, Lauren's like, oh, it's where you drive the thing. So they come, they kind of get in, and he's telling Sochi that, like, hey, it's safer inside. And he activates the Gundam, which starts standing up. She falls into the cockpit. It's funny, haha. They both fall in. It starts moving. It picks up a rifle, a beam rifle that's next to it. Uh, Lauren 
knows that it's a mobile suit and he's kind of freaking out the fact that there was a mobile suit down here. He didn't know how it got here, how it's activating, what's going on. He doesn't know how to control it either, importantly. It's all very foreign to him. Yeah, this is the. it should be noted that the white doll is kind of acting on its own without his input. And it picks up its bean rifle and fires at Poe's uh, Wadham. This is kind of running around a mile away. Um, eventually, like, it fires its bean rifle once and it hits the Wadham. And Poe freaks out, too, because she doesn't think that there's, you know, any militia. There's no intel that says that the Earthlings are supposed to have mobile suits. So that's really fucked up. And giant fuck-off lasers that almost kill yeah. her. And uh, she fires her laser back and it causes a bunch of collateral damage. includes hitting a city in Heim's mansion. That's important. Uh, she blows up the high mansion. Um, Lauren and Sochi are still trying to figure out what's happening. And then Sochi realizes, oh, fuck, the entire city's on fire. Why didn't I notice that before? And that's the end of that episode. Yep. Uh, episode three starts with a brief recap of the, all that happened previously. The title of this one is uh, After the Ceremony. Uh, so it starts off, the city's just on fire and Sochi is panicking. Uh, she blames the white doll for starting a fight, even though it's not really their fault. And I mean, uh, it's not like she's seen the chicken walkers three miles away yet. That's true, yeah. She knew about the fires, though. Like, the city was they on fire. They bad. <laughs> um, she wonders briefly, is like, I wonder what happened to all the people in the ceremony, but, like, I guess they just ran off or something. Uh, Lauren's trying to figure out how to pilot this thing. Um, he starts fucking around with the uh, buttons in the cockpit, and he presses one that makes the cockpit drop to the floor. So imagine this mobile suit, which is 20 feet or 20 meters high standing up. The ball section that they're in at the waist just drops to the ground, attached to like some tethers, which presumably provides easy access in and out. You mean you don't like just what, like, jump like up like to your Gundam? Drop? Yeah, 15 like, meter, like something like wait, that. Wait, wait, you don't just jump out of your Gundam and, and walk away like nothing <laughs> happened? You don't but fall yeah, out like head a, first of your Gundam and be totally yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like a 15 or 20 foot drop, but most importantly, uh, they are, you know, she's on top of him, and when they fall down, uh, she lands very hard on his ball. Yeah, she can out. He, he hurt nothing. He hurt the nuts, <laughs> and he's dying. And she thinks it's funny and then is embarrassed. Um, it is pretty funny though. They play it up pretty hard. Yeah. Like he tries to he tries to play it off for a second and then is immediately just like, oh Like my no, nuts. my my balls hurt quite a lot right now, actually. <laughs> Turns out yeah. moon people still have balls. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. Uh so he kind of doubles over in pain and she notices that on his back there's bruises in the exact places that uh he was supposed to put on her back for the ceremony earlier. Uh, holy marks. Yeah, Weird. the holy marks. And so she mentions this, and he's like, well, he mentions, he thinks to himself, like, I'm probably supposed to have a pilot suit on that connects to the chair I'm in. This is weird. I guess that's why that happened. Um, she is at ground level now, so she's like, fuck, I'm going to go get you some clothes and also see why everything's on fire. Stay here, and runs off. Um, we cut to the militia. They're searching for stuff in the air. They got spotlights and everything. They spot these Wadoms, and Colonel Michael, who's the guy from before, and this new guy who we were introduced to who is fat has this weird, like, buzz tough cut thing. His name is Yanni. Um, they're talking about how they're like, there was this beam that went through the sky and caught everything on fire. That's fucked up. <laughs> but uh, they immediately start thinking, oh, this must be Gwyn's secret weapon to defeat Guardia. This is why they're attacking. And they get really pumped that they're going to win a war because they're fucking idiots. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people in this show who are fucking idiots. Yeah. Uh, again, he starts giving orders to attack the mechs. Um, they use artillery on them, but again, this does really nothing. Um, the Wadams are running through the city, and there's dropships overhead where the moon people are in. We get to see the inside of one of these dropships. 
There's an older commander-looking type with white hair and glasses. Uh, they don't say his name, but he's Captain Aji. I'm going to make this easy for you. He asks his subordinate, who's a stocky, square-chinned, military-type-looking dude with his hair pulled back, whose name is Phil, if the beam that they saw earlier was from them, because uh, they're also confused why there, there was a beam fire when there shouldn't have been any. Turns out military yeah, operations like, are pretty complicated when things don't go how you expect. <laughs> yeah, they were expecting it to just be some scary robots land on the ground and say, okay, we're taking this. And they and then the people just go, fuck, okay. But it <laughs> yeah. ended up being like three lasers firing, which is very concerning. That's yep. three too many. Yeah. Um, we cut to the city. It's in chaos. At the ball that uh, Kale's at, her mother is looking for her. Uh, Gwen is in the radio room again trying to bark commands and figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, he's talking to the moon race via the radio. And he's like, why are you guys attacking? You weren't supposed to attack. And the reply comes like, hey, the deadline you gave us was two months ago. You guys are fucking idiots for reneging on that. And he's like, well, why are you destroying the city? You don't need to do this. Uh, they cut to Fran. She's trying to take pictures for a newspaper. I got to get, she's a committed journalist. She's like in the middle of the shit trying to take these war photography shit. Anything for the shot. Yeah, but she gets knocked over by people rioting is really angry about it. War photography with a daguerreotype is pretty difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Robot, could you please stand still for two minutes? <laughs> um, <laughs> we cut to like the airfield. There's a bunch of these airships taking off and people are trying to get on and they're like immediately panicking and climbing up the side of the thing as it's taking off. Um, Keith is getting on one and he's mad that Diana is killing everybody. <clears throat> yeah, clearly the space people are not very happy about all of this. Yeah, like, it's a huge clusterfuck from everyone, really. Uh, we cut the Poe and her Wadam. She's mad that the, the Terrans, she calls them, are fighting back. Uh, the militia planes are again shooting at her, so she fires another huge laser. And it goes through the city and destroy. there's a lot of graphics of the just buildings completely imploding and falling over and everything. Oh no, how dare the people we are invading shoot back at us? We weren't expecting that. <laughs> uh, we're just invading them it's fine just just let it happen guys come on you're um, being mean you're being mean by firing back at me i mean like they kind of just expected to walk over yeah basically i don't even know why they like activated the lasers on their suits there's no reason to use them right it's yeah. overkill yeah so just to do a war crime miss heim finds kale and they like we got to escape uh Kale is like, I want to be with Gwyn. Fuck you, mom. I'm going. One of the Wadoms drops outside and her mom immediately passes out, falls over. Yeah, like walks right by the doorway and she just gets a case of the vapors. <laughs> um, so she so she comes back to the white doll and brings Lauren some clothes. He doesn't put them on because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> he puts he it fa- around his waist so his dick isn't shown anymore. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, he tells her that underneath the uh, cockpit in the seat, he finds a, like an iPad that has a manual on it. And she's like, wow, that's kind of cool that you're so smart and can figure out this iPad from the future, not knowing that he's actually from the moon. Um, she starts asking about the fires in the city, and in the city, the Wadoms are still fucking shit up. Um, I can skip most of this. I'm sorry. The At the palace, Caleb brings Gwyn some tea as he's barking orders over the radio. She kind of gleams from what he's saying that like he knew this was coming. And that since he has been talking about to the moon race for the last two years, like he knew that this was going to happen. And he says that he needs to contact Diana in order to reason with her. She seemed nice. Yeah. Lauren and Sochi take the cockpit ball back up into the cockpit. Sid sees them with his friend, Joseph. Oh, I don't even know. Like the cut, the editing here is kind of all over the place. The main deal with is 
that Lauren doesn't know if he can control the white doll. And Sid's like, you should not be in that thing if you don't know how to control it. And then Sochi's like, let's go back home because this white doll will make it a quick trip. And Sid starts talking about forbidden technology from the dark history, which is not a plot point you need to worry about. Don't, don't worry, worry about, about that. it. Um, Sid tells him the one smart thing. is like, listen, you should go hide that doll in the mine in the valley so the enemy won't see it. If you can pilot the damn thing. Uh, he tries to pilot the damn thing, but he falls. It makes it fall over. And so, like, he just kind of gets out and leaves. Falls right in his butt. Yeah. Uh, Sid and his assistant start looking at the thing. The, his assistant is this dark-skinned, red-haired guy. It kind of looks almost Native American in a way. His name is Joseph. Um, they start looking over the doll, and they really don't care that Sochi and Lauren ran off because they know them, so they can just ask him shit later. Um, we cut to... Sid, who immediately places a phone call to Gwyn because they know each other. He says that the white doll is from the dark history that Lauren was inside and was piloting it and thinks that like more of these things will so- show up soon. Mm. Uh, Gwyn says, like, hey, that's cool. Can you go find more? Go dig in my mountain mine. There must be more in there. Well, you know, it's like gold. If you find a little bit of it, surely there's more in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a quick scene of the Moonrace commander, Aji guy, thinking that, yo, maybe that beam that fired earlier was from one of the spies that we sent to the moon that landed two years ago. But his second in command says, no, they use a different beam. They can't be them. They have hidden technology. Um, <clears throat> Gwyn, this is a funny scene. Gwyn starts, sees like the Wadam that walked outside. So he gives his like kind of bombastic speech to everybody in the radio room saying, it's like, oh, we found the dark technology from the hidden era. This is all going according to plan. I am in control here. I swear. Yeah. And Keel is not falling for this at all. And uh, he tells her that like, she's like, why why are you doing this? You don't know what's going on. But he's like, well, listen, uh, Sid thinks that there's more of these space weapons here on earth and that your sister and your chauffeur have piloted one um we cut to a scene of lauren and sochi running back to the high mansion when they get there they realize it's completely fucking destroyed uh jessica walks out of the mansion their maid and starts crying she says that mr heim is dead uh they run inside and see that there is a body covered by a sheet uh lauren kind of his out the iPad. Yeah, he looks at his iPad. He's like, I wonder if I can fix this. And so she runs in and does the appropriate thing. She just freaking loses it and starts crying. And then slaps Lauren for trying to look at his iPad when her father is dead. Um, she starts ru- yeah, she starts running out of the house and says, like, I want to go to the city and tell mom and dad what happened. But he stops her and says, like, listen, the city's under attack. That's not a great idea. And when she tries to run off again, he slaps her. And then Which she just starts- always helps. It always helps to slap a hysterical woman. I mean, it's it a just it's a Gundam series. It kind of happens. Yeah. Everybody slaps everybody at all times. So. I mean, <laughs> what's the series with the most slaps? That's Zeta think, Gundam. Kubo? It's over. It's over hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Over wow, hundred. Wow. No, no competition there. Just, just to say, uh, yeah. yeah, it's well known for being slapped. <laughs> yeah. Um, we cut the keel. She's putting her passed out mom to bed. She looks out the window and sees several of these Walker things protecting some uh drop ships in a field and it kind of comes out in later episodes that like this is kind of their staging zone for the moon people um they've just basically claimed a piece of earth for themselves yeah um we see poe from earlier the pilot that shot lasers and blew everything up she gets uh out of her wadam 
And it's immediately obvious that she is regretting everything she's done. And she's like, oh, I blew it. I accidentally did a war crime. <laughs> I may have committed some light treason. Yeah. So she's like, I wonder if I'm going to get 10 years prison sentence for this. And she walks over to Phil, her commander, and is like, yeah, it's 15 or 17. But um, we're kind of out of pilots. So not yet. That's for later. Slap like, on the wrist. Slap on the wrist, girl. Yeah. It's such a fucking like, oh, boy. This is how <laughs> this happens, huh? Yeah, yeah, basically they're just explaining away like, yes, no, we are aware this person committed a war crime and did a terrible thing. They can't care, though. As like, your it works commander, really well. I would rather look the other way about this is basically what this is. <laughs> they're more self-aware Whereas, of like, it than Wing Wover was. <laughs> True. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Wing, you'd have these people doing these terrible things and then be like, mission accomplished. And like, every, like this at least even she's like, oh, I fucked up so bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so... Phil gives her the missions, like, listen, uh, we saw that mustache suit. That's a bad thing. You got to go capture that. And so, like, she's super ecstatic that she gets a second chance to fucking right her wrongs, I guess. So she's got to wait for her suit to get repaired and go back out. Um, we cut to people immediately burying Mr. Heim, who is dead. Um, Sochi is still have very... have traditions. Yeah, like, this is almost immediate. And, um... They're asking, like, the lawyers for this showed up, like, immediately, too. They're asking Sochi to sign documents saying that he's dead, which is kind of weird. And it's strange, too, this is so fast because they ask one of the butler people, like, do you have a headstone yet? And he's like, no, we have these pieces of wood. And they're like, well, as long as you don't change the location, it's fine or something. You gotta so get as the, long as the name stay straight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. Um, Lauren is there. He spots Keith and he's super mad that Keith is kind of blowing his cover. That he, Keith would just randomly show up like that. Um, Sochi throws dirt on the coffin. She starts crying. She's very distraught about her father dying. Uh, Lauren speaks briefly to Keith. The main thing is like, yeah, everywhere is real fucked up. Diana the fucked this all fucked. up. Yeah. They're not really happy about that. <clears throat> Keith and we then cut to Keith and Lauren. They apparently just kind of split and they went down to the river by themselves. They're looking at the iPad. From we the have white... to be manly men and, and take off our shirts and discuss robots. It's weird. They took off their shirts and their shoes and then they're just kind of lounging on the bank of the river looking at this iPad on their like elbows staring at each other. It's is, weird. Is that not what men do? <laughs> it's very manly, yeah. And so they start talking about it and it's like, that. Yeah, that thing must be two or three thousand years old minimum. And they're like, but maybe not. We don't know what the fuck happened on Earth so far back. Um, Keith asked him about the beam lasers that were fired. Lauren's like, I only fired once because then my rifle melted, which is a thing that Yeah, happened. I literally could not fire again. Yeah. He's like, yeah, the moon race got scared and fought back, and I guess I really escalated it. That sucks. And well, Lauren's the like, moon race escalated at first, really. Yeah. So Lauren's like, well, what do you think is going to happen now? Do you think we're going to go to war? And Keith is like, well, I don't think that's going to happen. But You're like, wrong. Maybe we could... Lauren says that like, maybe we could go dig up the robot we had before and go back to Diana. Keith says, Honestly, this would this series would be like so much more interesting too if the lady hadn't fired yet and like she did wait to fire until turn A had fired initially like yeah so there you know because then there'd be a little bit more conflict behind it but right now it's like well she already like blew up a city <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah I know I agree with yeah, you there would have been started it better yeah. if like they defended themselves and then shit hit the fan but yeah. um. Keith says, like, hey, listen, our job of spying ended yesterday when they landed. We can do whatever we want now. I want to go be a baker. And so Lauren's like, well, you that's self-centered of you to only think of your own safety when people around you need help and whatever. And then, like, listen, man, you didn't see the lasers that happened in the city. You would run, too, if you saw the moon people's crazy weapons. Um, 
there's a bit of hypocrisy here that's kind of funny. Lauren spies that Keith is wearing this locket that has like a picture of the Moon Queen in it. Uh, that's this Diane. This is what I'm saying. Like all the Moon people seem to be super obsessed with their queen. Like, yep, scarily so. Is that not how the British people are with their queen? Do they not carry uh, lockets? No, of... honestly, we don't get Americans like our queen more than we do. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So. um... I'm just trying to get through. Keith tells Lauren, is like, listen, no matter what you do, you got to figure out how to use that white doll. If you use it to meet up with us or if you just leave, whatever. But like that thing is powerful and you should learn how to use it. Uh, we cut over the Sid and the rest of the militia. They're looking at the white doll. Lauren is there. I guess it's a time skip. He gets a telegram from Gwyn informing them that he's now new the new pilot and you're part of the militia. So congrats. You're conscripted. You got to um, fight him with something. Yeah. So as he and Joseph are fucking around with it, Joseph being the attendant of Sid, like, it activates this radar thing, and then Lauren sees that, like, oh, yeah, from, like, five, 30 miles away, that Poe's Wadam is coming, and that they're going to get ready for a fight. Oh, yeah, and here, like, Joseph gets punted out of the cockpit, and he actually, like, they actually pick him up, and, like, he, like, hobbles away. So it turns out, falling from a Gundam <laughs> hurts. I think this is when it was still sitting down, so the cockpit was probably, like, 10 feet off the ground. It still hurts. Yeah, it does. Don't fall you 10 feet, fall on your head. Yeah. Um, so episode four's title is The Soldier from the Homeland. Um, the White Doll activates. Lauren gets up and sees that a bunch of new mobile suits are coming. The militia start using artillery to shoot at Poe's Wadam. And then there's also with her these smaller, like, 15-footish two-person suits. Adorable little guys. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. They're called Walking Dumplings, a.k.a. Oh, Wads. That's what? the name? Yes. They're I did rats. not know. Oh, man. <laughs> I gotta oh, get I my wad with my friend. I, <laughs> I love knew, these little I knew they were wads. I didn't know that was walking dumpling. That's amazing. I love it. Oh yeah. my goodness. They're so just to give people an idea, it's like two seats front and back. Like it's like imagine if you were encapsulated a like tandem bicycle in a Gundam. <laughs> Have you ever seen <laughs> I think it's like Metal Slug four or five. There's like these mech units you can walk really slowly with and have machine gun hands. They kind of look like these things. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So um, Poe starts taking out the militia's anti-aircraft gun and chastises them. Like, listen, by shooting at me, you're ruining your own farmland, you fucking idiots. You got We're going to need that later, guys. Come yeah, on. that's the other part. She has a line about, like, we'll need that farmland that you're burning. Hmm. Yeah, so Lauren pilots the white doll down into the field. Um, he wants to contact the Wadam and yell at them to stop. But then these little wads start tasering them. They got, like, these fork electricity. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Poe sees that the white doll's rifle is melted, and Poe wonders if it's a trap. But um, Poe goes to grab the white doll, and Lauren's like, "Fuck this shit! I'm not getting into a grappling fight with a giant." And he kind of runs into the forest. Yeah, like <laughs> the Turne is way smaller than the Wadam, but also like way bigger the than the Wads. So yeah, the Wads are like seven meters. Turne is like twenty, and the Wadam is like forty. So yeah. maybe ideas. Um, we cut back to the destroyed high mansion. Sochi's in bed pouting. Jessica and the other butlers are trying to get her to evac, but she's uh, like, I'm mad. I'm staying in bed. Honey, there's a war on. Yeah. Um, the white doll runs into the forest and the wads follow him and he starts beating them up like toddlers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he picks funny. one up like it's a little baby and then he starts shaking it and he's like, no, no, don't shake the baby. No. <laughs> yeah, he shakes the wad into surrendering. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, he chucks one at the ground. Um, the militia sees that the Moonrace people are after the White Doll, so they kind of start trying to defend it. Um, 
There's a really stupid scene of Mishi up in her airplane with her dad. She does like a barrel roll. Her dad falls out of it because he's not wearing a goddamn seatbelt. <laughs> and then like she does like Wrong a loop clear. and like captures him before he hits the ground right. on the guns on the front of the thing. Yeah, I was like, damn, dad's dead pretty quick. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, it's silly. They didn't even have that. Um, the militia shows up like, God, like 20 trucks, like flatbed trucks show up and like there's a bunch of militia dudes on the back of each of these and they're firing out the back like a bunch of rednecks poe thinks that this is all really barbaric and silly that the militia are attacking the wads but like since these wads are so small they actually do blow one up they and push so- it into uh like a ravine thing and it it catches turns, fire it like a pinto. It turns out it's a pinto, and it just yeah, explodes. Yeah, like they hit one, they, like they drive a truck right into one, and it just falls over and explodes. <laughs> um, Poe is like, well, I'm not supposed to attack the humans, but like these guys are fucking up my friends. What am I supposed to do? Um, Poe eventually just runs away. Um, Aji, the commander, calls her, says that she wants to fight, but like I was getting recon for the negotiations that were coming up. I wasn't committing more war crimes. I didn't I fire my laser. I wanted to fight the Gundam. Yeah. Aji lets us in that a uh, another transport is coming from the moon and her new orders are to protect it. And she's really mad that the entire situation is going foobar. God damn it, I started a war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the militia open up one of the disabled wads and they're really shocked to see that there are humans inside of it. Like they didn't Which, know what they were supposed fair to find. Enough. Yeah. Uh, the moon pilots surrender immediately because they all have guns on them. And like the militia would get like kind of itchy finger, but Lauren like puts the white doll's hand in front of them and stops them and saying, like, hey, the prisoners of war, you can't do that. That's not right. No more war crimes. Um yeah, skip a bit. Cut to the city, shit's in ruins, people are on the street. Um Cahill is wondering about the people warning when her mom wakes up because she's in the room with her mom. Uh, the mom gets filled in on what happens. Uh, the mom learns that her husband is now dead. She shocks yeah, so, like, and passes out again. So, like, her mom basically just woke up from fainting after seeing these alien creatures attacking her city. Her daughter walks up to her and is like, yo, by the way, dad's dead. And she passes out again. <laughs> and she passes out. Before she passes out, she gets off the bed and then passes out. <laughs> Falls And over. I'm like, mom, could you just, not just have just done that? Stayed in the bed. Just stay in the bed. That way I don't have to carry you there again. Mom, this is very inconvenient. <laughs> I don't want to trouble you, but you should be sitting down for this. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She got up. <laughs> uh, so we cut over to the Moonrace LZ where they've been staging. Uh, a bunch of new dropships come on in. They're guarded by this huge gold mobile suit. Uh, this mobile suit's called a sumo because it's kind of big. It has like a half-dome head, but it's like a beefy mobile suit. Uh, interestingly, this was the original design of the Turn A Gundam, but uh, Tomino didn't like it, so he made it a side character. Um, we get to see the series Char-like because, you know, it's not a Gundam if there isn't a Char. Uh, this guy has this like black space suit thing on. He has a silver bob cut, kind of like uh, Lauren does. But the main attraction feature is that he has huge red wraparound sunglasses that make him look like a bug. He looks like the team and whatever the new, like the team rocket and whatever the newest Pokemon is. Yes, he does. Yes. He also looks kind of like the Venture Brothers suit, like the getup they have, the bad guys in the. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Char like is. in the cockpit of his suit as it flies to Earth, he's like, wow, the warm rain on Earth rules. We don't have this on the moon. Um, we cut over to Mishi talking to Sochi, who's still pouting in bed. Uh, she's talking to like, hey, the militia's fighting. It's real fucking awesome. You should go join the militia with me. We need people to fly our planes. 
Uh, so she's like, what about the white doll? What's happening? And she's like, hey, Lauren, uh, they're beating up the moon people with it. That's cool. And like, listen, I got this cool revenge plan, but I need you to help. And so she's like, revenge? And so she gets revenge. out of bed. You know, yeah. if you want to cheer up your friend, just suggest revenge. Yeah, it works, it works every, every time. time. Uh, in the forest, Lauren is comically trying to camouflage the white doll. This, it's a 20, foot, 20 meter high robot that's white and you're putting just branches well, like, over it. Like, just put some branches over its mustache and they'll no never recognize it. They'll <laughs> be like, that looks like a Gundam but it doesn't have a mustache so it can't be the one we're looking for. So he checks his iPad. Uh, he learns that like Poe's suit is still walking around and he's like, I don't want this getting closer to our house so I'm going to go over to it. Um, he does... When Poe is in the clearing and like he yells to Poe like, hey, listen, hi, I'm a Moonrace person. You can check your computer. I'm a spy from two years ago. Um, he also wonders, like, I wonder if this is the pilot that I fought against twice. So she checks he her computer. Correct. She realizes he's actually who he says he is. We cut to her uh, carrying him back to the Moonrace landing zone. Um, it's kind of funny because the Moonrace immediately put up a chain link fence and there's like humans or uh, Terrans outside protesting it. Yep. Uh, Fran is taking a picture for the newspaper and she spots Lauren. Um, we cut to uh, Poe in. We cut to, sorry, Sochi and Mishi in a plane. I don't know how they got there so quick. Uh, she tells Sochi that uh, she's looking for more suits, like uh, that the militia is looking for more suits like the White Doll, and then Gwyn is spearheading all this, and who knows, maybe you could pilot one. Yeah, and there's like uh, a big scene of them mining out uh, all the mountains. They've clearly, like, moved the entire mining company into trying to find more suits in this mountain. Yeah, and they've also kind of employed the militia to start digging for them. Yep. Um, so Lauren and Poe are going to the Moon Race's uh, ship, and they start talking to Aji and the other generals that are there. Lauren gives info about his last two years, a brief recap. Um, the Notchar asks, like, well, what did you say to Poe? And like, he's like, I've never heard anything about other mobile suits on Earth. Like, well, how did this happen? So... As Lauren talks about all this, like, um, he says that, like, on the night of the ceremony, he was there when the beam rifle shot and unearthed the white doll and burned down the home. Um, the not-char guy asks about the suits. He says, like, I wasn't able to learn anything. So one of the main takeaways here is that Lauren is not telling the moon people that he is the pilot of the white doll. They do not yep. know this. Um, he does tell them about, like, the militia factories. Um, he passes out briefly for some reason. They get him to sit down because he's all uptight and tense. His blood uh, the, sugar bottomed out. It's all right. Yeah, Aji, the commander, asks him about the dark history and the ter- the Terran's tales of the god. And Lauren tells him, like, listen, there's this guy named Sid. He's trying to dig up and find more suits. But I don't know if they'll find anything else. I wasn't around too much. Um, Aji tells the Notchar, whose name is Harry. Harry, Harry. Ord. What a name. His it's name a, is Harry? Yep. Harry Ord, that yes. That's a completely inappropriate name for that. For a man who looks yeah. like that? Yeah, yes, absolutely. he's not that a Harry. That's too normal. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Harry. Uh, yeah, so he tells Harry to take him to the city. Uh, we cut to them in cars uh, being escorted to the city by the, the Wada, not the Wadams, the Wads. <laughs> God, I can't that name. Uh, Harry's like, listen, your secret spy mission is to find out more about the Sid guy and if how they're going to figure out how to get more suits. We need to know that information. Uh, Lauren asks Diana if Diana could prevent this war, and Harry's like, yes, she can do anything. So they're Harry both also very listens. into her. Yeah. And then Lauren brings out the fact that before he left the moon, Princess or Queen Diana gave him a kiss. It's like, and that's Harry's pretty like, cool, kid. Yeah, Harry's like, yeah, cool, good job. Um, we cut to another shot in the mine. Sid found some shit in the mine. Who knows? It was buried. Back in the city, the moon race are gathering in a house for some negotiations. 
Um, they have all of their higher up generals there. Uh, Phil tells uh, Loren is like, listen, before anybody finds out that you're a double agent, you should uh, get out to hide your identity. You know, with this who- whole city of people we just drove into. Yeah, it's weird. they could have dropped them off in the woods before he got into the city. It's kind of stupid they make him leave now, but... For the purposes of the plot, he leaves now, and he spots in the hallway uh, Kale. Um, He has something to tell her, but uh, she's busy because she's got to do stenography for the meeting. I guess that, as an aristocrat, she knows how that works. I don't know. Uh, Don't we all know how that works? Like, they're just born with a knowledge of how you use a stenographer, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, She asks him to stay. Listen, I want to talk to you after the meeting, so he does. Kale enters the room, and as she goes into the meeting room, she walks past Harry and Phil who both immediately think that it's not her because she hasn't arrived yet. So Every moon person instantly notices that she is one-to-one with Diana, basically. Yes. Um, Gwyn and another Terran diplomat whose name is Aruna start talking. By the way, Aruna looks like Karl Marx with blonde, a blonde Karl Marx. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. silly. Uh, they start talking about this diplomacy strats, how they're going to do bargaining with these moon people. Um, Gwyn says that like it's good to actually meet the Moonrace for the first time after talking with them on the radio for two years. Um, we cut briefly back into the mindsets finding robots. It doesn't matter. Um, at the, so at the, <laughs> I mean, I'm I mean, sure it'll be important. wrong. Is the thing, yeah. Like, <laughs> the, it, the scene. Okay, so like they cut three or four times to Sid and Joseph and the militia finding robots. They find robots bumbling metal- through the mine like idiots. Yeah, they and find. They see- Wow, cool robot. And then they don't show you the robot. Yep. <laughs> At yeah. the end of the episode, they briefly show that they look like metal eggs. And if you've watched the original, well, if you watch, uh, I think they were in Zeta, double Zeta. They're called capsules. And also in Unicorn, they're called capules. Hmm. You, they, you'll see them later. They'll show up later. But yeah, they're just finding, they're finding robots in the mind. This is interest first cut. Um, but the main thing is this peace talk that starts going on. Um at the talks, the moon race says, like, hey, listen, we have better, cool, we have wow, cool robots. You should obey us. To Gwyn says, like, no, not so fast. We have this cool new pilot named Laura. She's piloting these cool robots. And you saw that she fired a laser at you. Yeah, it's a good thing that I don't use the actual name or someone might get suspicious. Yeah. So Gwyn also brings up, like, your laser fire killed people, including Cahill, the stenographer over there. Her dad died. That was real fucked up what you did. And the Moonrace are like, listen, we asked you a very reasonable demand. We wanted the entirety of the Sunbelt. Um, there's no reason why we shouldn't have that. Just a little land. Just, just a tiny, tiny parcel of land. Just like all of it. Yeah. Just all of it. Just, just a tiny, you know, what percentage of North America? What, yeah, how many euros is that? 20, it's fine. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. So yeah, when, like, what, like one Europe, two Europes? Yeah, it's fine. You're, you're not <laughs> using it. Yeah, so Gwen's like, listen, that was too much. That was too big of a pull. You couldn't have done that. And then immediately we see that Captain Aji has been shot in the chest by a crossbow. By a fucking crossbow bolt. Yeah, so it turns out Anuro, the guy who looks like Karl Marx, uh, his wife and nephew died in their attacks, and he's just immediately getting revenge at this peace meeting. He whipped out that crossbow and shot it before anyone noticed. Which, like, this man kept brought a crossbow with him into the diplomatic meeting. Power move. <laughs> yeah, so Harry and Phil, like, I guess they're being the bodyguards in this situation, immediately pull their guns. Uh, Gwyn tries, like, to defuse the whole thing. If but anyone Phil... wants to get shot, or if anyone wants blood, just take mine. Don't don't go they're to like, World War over like, this. okay then, and they fire the gun at him, but then the guy who shot the crossbow jumps in the way. Carl yeah. Marx takes a bullet Phil wanted for him. blood so badly he shot at Gwyn, but Inora jumped in front of it and took the shot for him. 
Harry's like, this is really fucked up. We got to stop. Uh, truce, truce. No, we, we're leaving. Bye. And so everybody starts leaving and evacuating. Um, and I do like that they make the comment of, uh, well, while they're leaving, the you know the the space people are like, don't you dare think one shitty old man's life is worth our fucking guy. Like our guy is so much more valuable. Don't e- don't even trip. I'm still mad <laughs> you shot Captain Aji. You son of a bitch. Like, yeah. Uh, so as uh, everybody's evacuing, Lauren tells Cahill that like we should get out of here. Gwyn also tells Laura that they should uh, go learn how to use the white doll, and that's like the main thing. Gwyn like made it apparently obvious like. Listen, you got to figure out how this shit works, or this is going to go south really badly. Up. So, again, Gwyn does not know that Laura is a double crossing moon agent. Yep. Um, Lauren asked him, is like, is this going to meet, does this, this mean war? And yes. Gwyn's like, I couldn't have possibly imagined this would happen. You, Could the man who's been talking to the moon race for two years, building a military. A yeah. And so, yeah, the last Lauren. shot of this episode is Sid in the militia finding these mobile suits underneath the mountain. And they say they're from dark history. Yep. Well. So it's pretty obvious where this is kind of going, um, at least theme wise. War. Maybe. War is hell. War. We we have uh, two subplots going on. Um, The fact that no one knows that Lauren is double crossing two sets of people. And this also, show like sets up a lot of things really quickly. Yeah, the first four episodes, I don't know how fast they go. Like the first couple of episodes, I don't know if it past episode four will go really quickly to set stuff up, and then like the middle half of it is very slow. So yeah, I mean, hmm. it's I definitely take this over Gundam Wing, where I was sort of just checked out already because all they were ever doing was showing how cool these small children were. <laughs> this one is sort of like okay, I got questions that I'm. Kind of curious about. Yeah, like, slightly older idiot children to follow. It's a uh, it's interesting too because like obviously these plot lines are kind of obvious where they're going with the double crossing militia thing. Also, if you haven't figured it out by now, the whole double identity of Cahill and Diane is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it puts out like even though it's kind of obvious that these things will be a thing, where they're going from now is also still up in the air. How there's mobile suits on Earth, then the whole Victorian timeline thing's up in the air. How they're going to deal with this. It's, it sets uh, up quite a lot. And yeah. I'm, again, really curious where we're going to end up from here. Which, hey, much better than Gundam Wing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it also fair, kind of, I never knew where Gundam Wing was going, but uh, not in a good way. It's also nice that these characters have flaws and kind of address yeah. those flaws. And they also have... Like, character to them they're like individuals with their own motivations and shit unlike other shows that we have to sit down and think about after every episode what their motivations are lauren despite being a bit enigmatic is is infinitely more likable than hero he he just is like it's weird because like he should be he feels like he's just as like kind of alien to everyone as hero is but it feels like He's legitimately alien as opposed to just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Which, exactly. I think is the big difference. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. Like, imagine if in Mork and Mindy, Mork was just a huge fuck <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like, he was like, Nanu, Nanu, go fuck yourself. I don't give you, I'm out of here. This planet sucks ass. Like, that would be Gundam Wing. <laughs> so. You motherfucking Shazbot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, Lauren, I think, is a good character. Like, he obviously doesn't have any idea of how, like, things about Earth culture. But at the same time, like, he's good nature and he's trying to do his best through yep. the shit that's going to happen to him in the series. So, I like him as a character. I kind of like wait, some wait, of the... Wait, wait, you mean the show shows us that he's kind-hearted instead of just telling us over and over again? I'm not sure I can cope with that. That's too much thinking. We're in for a lot here. <laughs> Everything he does is so well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time we'll be doing episodes uh, five to eight, yes. I believe. Yeah. So, till next time, space anime. Space anime. <laughs> <laughs>